Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. And yeah, it's the night after one of the best finals we've seen for quite a while, I think, at the World Grand Prix. Congratulations to Mark Allen beating Judd Trump 10-9 in that, in what turned out to be a real epic of a final, but hadn't looked like it was going to be a, down, uh, a really good ending to what was a really interesting tournament overall, I thought. And um, Mark Allen's amazing season rolls on with a third-ranking title. Yes, it is quite a season. It really is. You know, not many in the history of the game have won three in a season. Some, of course, some of the star names over the years have done it lots of times, like people like Stephen Hendry, uh, Ronnie, of course, John Higgins, Mark Williams. But, you know, to do it once, to win three, is a real effort. And there's more tournaments to come. And he just looks like, He's sort of freewheeling a bit. I mean, I made a bit of a sort of flippant joke, Phil, on, on, on Twitter about when the next time someone's going to win a tournament with their A game. No one's doing it. They're doing it with B. They're doing it with C+. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is you know, to say straight away, it's quite something, isn't it? And it just feels at the moment, Alan's just got that sheen of winning mentality. Listen, the wheels were coming off a bit. He had that big lead and... You know, I think, well, I think many times it must be awful when you're in that seat and a player, especially as good as Judd Trump, is coming back at you. But he did, he did hold on to win. And I think on the balance of the final, he probably just about deserved it. But as you say, Phil, we were due one. We were saying we won't get many close finals a couple of weeks ago. But the snooker gods, who, as we know, can be, well, an erratic bunch, I think, generally, but <laughs> have a benevolent side. They said, OK, we'll give you a great Masters final. And maybe you say an even better, not just because they went to a decider, but because of the thrilling nature of the comeback, an even better World Grand Prix final. So you know, we've been served well by the gods once again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it was really exciting. Um, I think most people would have fancied Judd 
with the momentum behind him and uh, really more that it looked like Mark had really gone. And he said so, said so as much in, in in interesting words. Let's say afterwards that he was not handling the pressure the pressure very well, uh, and he missed that ball in the in the decider. And it just did look like Judd was going to clear up from there. Um, that yellow he missed, you know, it, it's a routine shot for him. And then in the balls would have all been his because Mark made a great break from there. But it was pretty straightforward break. Nothing straightforward in those circumstances, but it was as easy as it could have been really. Um, so Judd, amazing that he made all made it all the way back there, but he'll be disappointed to lose, obviously. Um, but it's still another great week for him to. We know that coming off a massive win like the Masters, and then literally straight up the road to the next tournament, no time for a celebration or anything. Quick, quick lie down, and then you're back there again, near enough. Um, so to reach the final and to go within one frame of victory, so uh, big congratulations to them both because. Judd will be annoyed, but it's still an excellent, excellent run from him. Oh, very much so. And I certainly didn't see Judd as potentially going a long way this last week, not because he's not such a wonderful player or one of the best in the world. I just think to follow up any tournament win with another tournament long run is hard. But when you've got something as big as the Masters, I just think had it been a week's week, yeah, maybe fancied him more. But I just thought, again, going into that, just didn't fancy him on the basis of that, but hats off, he did really, really well. And and those and being best of seven from the start. I mean, starting off against Vapai and then Brussel. Yeah. If you if you are caught cold, they'll catch you. Um, yeah. but no, he sort of breezed through it. So yeah, no, it's brilliant stuff from him. And actually, I think played better than he did at the Masters. I think by his own admissions, and I think he, you know, we could all see he was actually playing better. But there we are, funny old game. P- played better, maybe a lot better at times. Didn't win the tournament. The Masters. You know, was almost struggling at times, ended up with that famous pot at the end of the week. That's what makes this sport so fascinating. Phil, we'll talk more about that final and the tournament as a whole, but we really have got uh, loads to get through uh, here on this Monday night as we're speaking here in the UK because there have been a number of major news lines and the biggest of the lot, of course, is the latest situation really in this scandal that's that's unfortunately facing the game over a number of Chinese players 10 players who are facing match fiction charges. Well, we heard some big news about the, the specific nature of those charges last week, didn't we? As Snooker's governing body investigates the sport's biggest corruption scandal. Looking at some copy here from the BBC, the allegations include manipulating games, approaching players to cheat, betting on snooker and fixing a match. Players found guilty of the charges against them will face a lengthy ban from the sport. Most of the players have not commented publicly on the allegations, although Liang Wenbo has reportedly denied match fixing. An independent hearing will now be convened to consider the evidence. I do think it's worth going through each of the players, actually, Phil. I think it is that important. So uh, let's just do that then and start with uh, Liang Wenbo, who has been charged with being concerned in fixing matches and approaching players to fix matches on the World Snooker Tour, seeking to obstruct the WPBSA investigation and failing to cooperate with the investigation. Lee Hang has been charged with being concerned in fixing matches and approaching players to fix matches, seeking to obstruct the investigation and betting on snooker matches. Lu Ning has been charged with fixing a match and being concerned in fixing matches and approaching a player to fix a match, seeking to obstruct the investigation and betting on snooker matches. Yan Bing Tao has been charged with fixing matches and betting on snooker. 
Xiao Zingtong charged with being concerned in fixing matches and betting on snooker. Shang Jiankang has been charged with fixing a match, failing to report approaches for him to fix matches and betting on snooker matches. Chen Sifan has been charged with fixing matches. Chang Bing Yu has been charged with fixing a match. Xiao Jianbo has been charged with fixing a match. And Bai Lan Ning has been charged with being concerned in fixing a match. I mean, it's terrible news, Phil. It already was. And I think sometimes I struggled maybe to get my head around the gravity of this situation. But when you actually read it, and even now reading it myself out loud, you really realise these are, you know, uh, it, I wouldn't say the sport is stricken, but it, it's out for the count because this is really, really bad news. Jason Ferguson, uh, the chairman of the WPBSA, spoke to Rob Walker on ITV and said it's a heartbreaking situation for those of us who have been in this sport for a long time and have worked uh, to make it the great sport it is. The process really started back in October. Information came to light regarding some manipulation of results that resulted in the suspension of Yang Wenbo to begin with. And that was the beginning of a very detailed investigation by our integrity unit. That detailed investigation is now finished. And we are now at the point where charges will be pressed. Asked by Will Walker if the 10 players have already been found guilty, he said, all these names have cropped up in that inquiry for one reason or another. We feel that each of those players has a case to answer for a breach of the betting rules and our conduct regulations. And that is why we've moved to that prosecution stage. Well, the right and proper thing, Phil, to do, of course, is not to talk in any specific ways at all, because, you know, there's still a hearing. We'll wait for the, you know, verdicts further down the line. But in general terms, we can say it's a good word, heartbreaking from Jason Ferguson, because if there's anyone any doubt about the gravity of this situation, these this statement that we heard and these charges, you know, blew that out of the water. This is pretty desperate stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we knew it was serious stuff. Um and if anything, those charges were sort of worse than some people may have been expecting. There's a lot of um, direct charges of match fixing there, um, which is as bad as it gets, really. And, you know, the concerned in fixing matches, it could mean all sorts of things. We don't really know. Um, it's probably things that we think it's that um, it's matches that they've not specifically been playing in, but they've been involved in somehow in in other fixed matches. Um, so we'll see. We don't we, we we don't know what the specifics of those things are. Um so we just, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see, but it is really bad, obviously. Um, and there's going to be some serious punishments doled out, um, quite rightly. Um, we just hope that it's going to be done as quickly as possible. Jason said March they were aiming for, so we've got a little bit of time to wait. Uh, but they're going to set up this tribunal and see what the players have to say and uh, come to conclusions. But, yeah, of course, it's, uh, it's really bad. <laughs> there's no other way of sort of putting it. It's, uh, I don't know, it's catastrophic. That's probably too too strong. You know, the sport will continue. Hopefully they've got rid of the uh, the bad actors in this, caught them all. Uh, we'll see about that. Um, but, yeah, as, as bad as it gets, really. Yeah, it has to be said that that's true. And we're talking about, you know, in certainly a couple of, of cases, you know, two of the very biggest names in the game, players that have won the biggest tournaments in recent times. So, you know, there's, it wouldn't really matter if they were the lowest ranked players. It's still desperate. There's only 120 odd pros, but when it's the very, very top players, you think, goodness me, potentially long bands to come. 
you know, potentially, well, clearly career wrecking, never mind, you know, um, stalling. It, it's, uh, well, but we will wait and see because it's important that the process continues and without any sort of, uh, you know, specific or detailed comments from us. But we obviously wanted to bring you up to date with that. I think thought it was well dealt with by generally by journalists, uh, including ourselves, not just to praise ourselves, Phil, and our industry, but I think generally broadcasters, journalists covered it as they have done with an, a, a maturity, I think. You know, as we saw at the Masters, you know, almost dealing with it at the start of the week, this obviously story did come towards the start of the World Grand Prix and then letting snooker do the talking. You know, this is still a wonderful sport. It's still a sport enjoyed by millions of people. Of course, it will survive. But, you know, I think the television pundits at the time when this story first broke made it the point very well that you have to believe what you're watching when you're watching sport. That is absolutely intrinsic into all our experience and why we love sport so much. If that's lost, then it's almost the unspoken contract loss. So it is desperate news. We'll wait and see. We'll get the official uh you know, announcements and verdicts somewhere down the line. We hope soon, Jason Ferguson, as you say, said it could be March, definitely looking by the end of this season. Let's hope it's obviously as quick as it can be, but as thorough as it can be. And we'll, we'll, we'll of course, report any more developments uh, here, here on Talking Snooker. So that's a, a desperately bad story. Nowhere near as bad as that, but still a pretty bad story. It's actually broken today, Monday in the UK, Phil, over a tournament that everybody really enjoyed last season. Unfortunately will now not be taking place in March. Yeah, exactly. It's the Turkish Masters. Um, this was announced on Monday that it's been cancelled for 2023. Um, I'll just read the WST statement here. We've made every possible effort to keep this event on the calendar over the past nine months since the inaugural Turkish Masters took place in March 2022. Unfortunately, attempts by the local promoter to guarantee adequate funding for the event have been unsuccessful. WST always seeks assurances over the viability of events its players and unfortunately on this occasion these assurances could not be provided in the time frame necessary for this event to be delivered. The event was due to take place from the 13th to the 19th of March and we are now exploring all options for an alternative event to be staged between the end of the Sixth Red World Championship and the Dual Bets Tour Championship. Dual Bits, sorry. Um, yeah, so really bad. Uh, another, another blow. Um, diff completely different obviously to the last bit of news but a shocker for a lot of players on tour because um, running out of tournaments now between now and the end of the season for the majority of the players on tour. Um, already had the Welsh Open qualifiers, so we've got the shootout coming up this week. If you didn't qualify for Wales and you didn't go to Germany you've, and you're not in the players or the tour championship, um, then you're done until the World Championship qualifiers unless they find something to, to fill that gap. Uh, and that's quite a few players that would fill into fit into that category. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We don't want to be blaming anyone for this. This is, you don't, but I think action needs to be taken, and uh, something needs to be put in place um, for players to play in. Um, we don't know whatever that is, whatever they can conjure up, but they need to do some conjuring because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bad spot that a lot of people are in who have very few earning opportunities left. Um, until, you know, the end of this season. Yeah, no, totally right. You look at the calendar and you think, I mean, listen, anyone can qualify for the World Grand Prix we've just seen taking place uh, and, and the players in the tour, but 
you know, with all the with the greatest one in the world, the same sort of players tend to qualify for those because they're they're generally the best players. So yes, it's slim pickings for a lot of players. And on a wider note, you know, we loved this tournament, didn't we? And we we've been crowing about it so much. And let's not say it's gone forever, you know. Um it's hope it's a temporary thing. Mm. But you know, there was rumors initially and taught there could be another tournament, you know, in Turkey. That's how successful it was last year. So many of our colleagues, our friends love going there. And it's, you know, had a bit of glamour, didn't it? A bit of class about it. And it was, you know, just something that was so pleasurable for everyone. Those of us even watching on television, it was something so different. And, you know, we all love this game so much. When we see people from a different region, a different country, you know, enjoying it and embracing it, it means so much. And I think it's now lost is is kind of quite painful, really. And listen, the all-encompassing thing is, is the economy. You know, th- this is a pandemic thing. It's a war in Ukraine thing. It's all these combinations. It's economies being in a, a, a difficult situation, both here and elsewhere in other regions, other parts of the world. And unfortunately, you know, snooker is not alone. You know, every part of the entertainment business, it, it, you know, to some extent is struggling. I mean, you only have to ask anyone that works in the theatre business, you know, what, what, you know, some of the dire straits they found themselves in and still do to some extent. You know, I'm sure the same for music and concerts and what have you. Um, the travel industry, you know, we're going a bit broad here, but it's not a snooker-specific problem, but this is a snooker podcast, so we're first and foremost worried about snooker. And you're right, it, it's a it, it's a real blow. Um, you know, there, there has been a little bit talk, murmurings for a while about this. Uh, you know, obviously we hoped it wouldn't come to that because it seemed quite drastic, especially so near to the tournament. But mm. it's come as a you know a real blow, you know, to say the least. And obviously, it doesn't need that long to sort something else out, does it? I mean, you know, I don't want to be flippant, say Milton Keynes calling, but it, it could be one of those, couldn't it? If it's available, that kind of thing, you know, hastily rustled up tournament. Uh, I've forgotten that that sort of Championship League spin-off they had during the pandemic. Maybe that's, we can't, actually, that was quite a long-lasting thing, wasn't it? So that's not good enough for a week. But... Well, the, the WST Pro Series. Yeah, that was it. Um, so, you know, you don't think there was, there's something, uh, you know, quite a lot of our Irish listeners have been, you know, messaging us today, maybe ambitious. Get the bloody tournament on in Ireland. We've been wanting yeah. for ages. But, it, you know, it's, re- it's really bad news. And, you know, some of those players further down the rankings have been saying for a while now, we are seeing fewer and fewer opportunities. We had that very big gap at the start of the season, huge gap really in, in the early part of the autumn. Um, you know, then we had, you know, a fair few back-to-back tournaments, but again, you know, now it's for the rest of the season, it's it's really looking like for the elite players, for the best players that have on the telly most weeks, it looks like the game's thriving. We'll come back to World Grand Prix in a minute. Nearly a million viewers watched it that final on ITV4 here in the UK, superb audience. So let's not get too downbeat, but at the same time, let's not pretend this isn't a big deal because, you know, it clearly is. And it's starting to look like it. it's really kind of rocky waters generally for the tour, isn't it? This is putting all these pieces of the jigsaw together. It's not a sort of happy jigsaw, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, it's good they brought in that loan at the start, or however you want to word it, but the, the guaranteed 20 grand because a lot of people have needed it this season because it's, yeah, like you said, it, it's it's great for some players, but there's just not much, not many opportunities to earn money. And this this was a big one. And I don't know what the prize money was meant to be. I assume it was the same as 
last time, but that was half a million quid in the in the total prize fund. If you won your first round match, that was three and a half grand, which you know you may well spend most of that going to Turkey, but it's at least points on your rankings and stuff. Um, you know, hundred grand for the winner. So if that can be, I don't no idea what they're thinking of replacing it with, but you wouldn't think it would be as much as bigger bigger prize fund tournament as that, even if they can conjure up something. So. Yeah, it's bad, it's bad news, and uh, these guys just want to play. You know, the guys who aren't going to be in the in the Players' Championship, Tour Championship, they just need stuff to play in to pay the bills, you know? <laughs> not, not out there being greedy and wanting to be mega rich, but you've got bills to pay. Um, and it's just going to put so much pressure when people go to those World Championship qualifiers in April. Um, and it's going to be some grim affairs there when people are, are scraping to get over the line. So, um, yeah, hopefully... You know, they've done it before, you know, the British Open when they brought that back. Um, that was hastily brought back and was very good. And that had a big prize, you know, Mark Williams won that hundred grand. Um, so it can be done. You know, if it is at Milton Keynes, so be it. I mean, at this at this point, I know when we've got a month and a half notice or something, I don't think anyone would be too fussy. There would be the normal sort of taking the mick if it went back to Milton Keynes, but the players wouldn't be fussed if they had something to play for for a decent amount of money. So yeah, let's just hope they can rustle something up because otherwise, you know, it's it's a pretty bleak few months ahead for some guys. Yeah, there's a good reminder uh, from you there that, of course, we have had new tournaments and we have had developments and things happen and initiatives. But, you know, in a fast-moving, energetic world as we find ourselves in with, you know, the non-stop sort of turnover of big life sport you need us, you know, more and more initiatives. You need to keep the ball rolling. And, you know, China's a huge, huge blow. I mean, we should say Jason Ferguson actually has has sort of made more optimistic noises amid all the negative stuff that we could be heading back to, to China maybe next season, maybe in next autumn. That would be huge. I mean, even to get a couple of events back there would make the whole tour look different, particularly that first half of it before Christmas. A couple of big tournaments will be so massive. So let's hope for that. That would make a lot of difference. But yeah, you it's at the moment it's it, you know, it, it it's quite a negative it feels like a, a negative period in, in quite a few ways for the game actually. Uh, I don't think that's you know being downbeat. That's just kind of the way it is. But let's maybe look at a more positive thing, Phil, now, which is We've had a brilliant tournament, haven't we, the World Grand Prix. You said it was interesting. It really was. It was kept our attention up. I mean, because, you know, it's quite hard to follow a special event like the Masters, but this sort of had it from the start, had us kind of gripped. And again, you know, we talk about that final. What a match. I mean, at 7-2, it looked like Allen all the way, but Trump scrapped and, and kept going. And you mentioned the, the decider. I mean, it's a catalogue of errors, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> all Trump really had to do was... And I'm, I don't mean this funnily, but guys at that level was actually pop the yellow because only when he missed it and he got the ball, the cue ball went down there. I actually thought, well, blimey, Alan doesn't have to do much here. Yeah, little screw shots, little sort of stun shots around the reds and the black. It, you know, it wasn't at half of those guys at all. Even though it was nine nine, you sort of think, I don't, I don't fancy him to miss here, and you wouldn't fancy Judd to miss had he got in there, but. I thought he explained it quite well. He said I almost had to just stand up at that end, and maybe it was so delightful the prospect of what he was doing or maybe so nerve-wracking that it was just one pot and then I've almost got it that he just took his eye off the yellow somehow it was a it was a weird one because he'd done so much good work and he, he almost had it in the palm of his hand there but 
it would have been a brutal one for Alan to lost to have lost, wouldn't it? But you know, in the end, you've got to say, you know, credit to him, as you say, a third third world ranking title this season. He's never been like this, has he? He's never in his career had this consistent. He lost one final as well, so four finals. I mean, you know, we know about his new life, but he just looks every inch a winner. And he wouldn't put you wouldn't put it past him to, to put one or two more trophies on this season, would he? The way he's going. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a completely different prospect um, than he's ever been before. You know, he's taken his ranking title to nine. So he had six before this year. So to have three, three more this season is incredible. And uh, yeah, well, uh, so we suppose we have to mention like their style of play a bit. But I don't. I've not got any problem with it. But obviously, I don't think anyone really does. It just it's just how he had to play. Um, but the point mainly is that. He certainly didn't feel like he was flying. He didn't really feel like he was still in the purple patch that he was earlier in the season because he felt like he had to play in a slightly different way and it still worked. And, you know, that's the fabled B game. That's the kind of thing people talk about what you have to do at the Crucible if you want to do well there. You know, if you're not feeling like you're firing all cylinders, find a way to get through sessions level or narrowly ahead if you can. And if he's found a way to to win big tournaments when he's not feeling good, uh, then you know he's he's an unbelievable prospect for everything he goes in because um, that's what everyone wants to be like. Everyone knows that when they play well, they can reel off frames. Um, but most people struggle when they're struggling to have any confidence at all. But you know he must be confident now, having just won that tournament, uh, having to play with a with a different tactic that he would normally like to. So yeah, amazing stuff from him and. He's going to be one of the favourites for everything now for the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I'm seeing the same him sheet as you. I mean, you know, sport is about winning. And I thought he explained it very well. We'll come, we'll come to the Lazowski match a little bit later. That was at the last eight stage. I mean, it's a horrible watch in many ways. But, you know, Alan explained it as he didn't feel like he was in a very confident place with his form, despite all these successes he's getting. And, you know, he felt that his best tactic was to make it a bit more of a cautious game, you know, tie Jack up a little bit. And that's what you've got to do. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if every sort of player was wham, bam, smashing them all in, winning frames in 10 minutes, I, I don't think I'd be as much of a snooker fan. You know, it's all about the variety. And, but one thing I will say, you know, you say you don't know how much people are really annoyed. I mean, yeah, you don't know how much of it is faux and just the, the social media theme of the week type thing. But I have picked up one piece of correspondence here from David Finlay on Twitter, who, who wrote to us and says, Mark Hallen is playing snooker that casual fans can respect and admire, but maybe not enjoy. Given his success, perhaps other players will copy. The problem could be when those casual fans begin to look for alternative entertainment. Won't happen overnight or may not happen at all, but snooker shouldn't be complacent. I greatly admire what Alan has done, but I haven't watched a single ball today. I may switch on for 20 minutes later as the finish line approaches. I think David sent us to that, you know, maybe towards the end of that final session. Now, I expect he probably did tune in because it was great, great drama. And actually, mm. let's say nearly a million viewers watched on ITV. I mentioned it earlier. Very good for that channel. So, I mean, Mark Allen has been a bit feisty, hasn't he? Which he tends to be. He's a feisty kind of, which is why we like one of the reasons we like him so much. He's talking, just taken to Twitter and said, you know, Stephen Henry to stop moaning type thing and I'll do what I want. Mm. You know, I'm I'm not going to stop playing how I want to. And 
But Mark Allen's a very attacking player generally. You know, he's a very exciting player. I mean, it, if he's doing something a bit different for a little while, I say almost hats off, really. Yeah, I personally am not bothered, but I'm 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 not bothered by different styles. I've never understood the criticism for Mark Selby. I'm just not made like that. I like the different styles of snooker, and I always have done. Uh, so, you know, I did say a couple of people say that, you know, it seems like every sort of winner or or player that's going through a period of winning faces criticism that's almost, quotes un, unquote, unfair, really. Mark mm-hmm. Selby's not interesting enough. I've even heard a couple of times say, oh, players are too attacking, they haven't got enough of a safety game. And it's like, well, you know, the, I think a perfect snooker player doesn't exist. It nearly does in Ronnie O'Sullivan, but it's even not in him. He has flaws, despite his genius. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I'm not, I haven't got too much truck with that. I mean, listen, when when Mark Allen is celebrating with another trophy, he won't care what anyone's saying, will he, Phil? He just wants to get to the finishing line first. No, and... Uh... I watched his first round game against Gilbert and they were both uh, not great. And he was, I, I don't think he was playing that side of play at all. I think he was playing his pretty normal uh, game, but badly, really. Uh, they were missing a lot, both of them. And I think that's probably that. And, you know, we lost 6 0 the Masters, maybe that was a, you know, Hawkins played very well against him. But he probably played that game against Gilbert and thought, right, I can carry on like this, but I'll be, I'll be losing at some point soon because someone's going to, easily played well enough to beat me. So I'm going to have to do something about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do you want to see someone playing, attacking stuff and missing every shot? You know, that's not a great advert for the game either, is it? So he's got to do what he's got to do. That's professional sport, isn't it? You know, you do hear people saying sometimes that everyone, we're in the entertainment business. It's our job to entertain. And I've never really agreed with that. I think when you're a professional sportsman, your job is to effectively win as much money as possible. And in this game and most sports, that's winning as many matches as possible. So you do it however you can. And he's proved that work and uh, that works this time. And, you know, it wasn't all turgid or anything. You know, he, he put Nop on away pretty comfortably with a load of big breaks, even when he was playing um, the sort of slower style. Um, he was making a lot of big breaks. And I think that's what was so impressive about it because a lot of players... If they do, if they did go down a slightly different route, they would upset their own rhythm. You see it in darts an awful lot of times when players are trying to slow down quick players, but they just make themselves much worse. Alan was still put, putting in some great efforts in, in scoring side. So, yeah, I don't think he's going to always play like that. He's just doing it because he felt like he wasn't on his game. Um, but as I said before, knowing that he can turn to that if he needs to just makes him such a fearsome proposition. Um because he sort of ticks all boxes. Yeah, very much so. I mean, that entertainment business thing, I I, I think I, I can to some extent see what people get get at. We like to be entertained, but I think that betrays a little bit of a lack of confidence and a, almost a bit of paranoia a little bit about, about the sort of sport. And what I mean by that is I'm reminded of when John Virgo was on with us in that appearance that he made a on Talking Snooker, we love so much. And I think you were asking him about sort of centuries and about how the, the standard of the game has gone up. He said, yeah, well, it has, definitely, you know, without question. But he said, but the same token, you know, when we had frames one back in the day, we were playing sort of clever shots, exhibition shots. Certainly Alex Higgins was, maybe Jimmy was as well. But that was sort of half a century ago when the game was trying to establish itself. I mean, we've got decades and decades of evidence that people love snooker now. I don't, I don't mm. think you need to sort of start, 
you know, being all sort of frantic and, you know, well, we're going to lose everybody because people are playing a bit slowly. I, you know, if everyone played, you know, very, very slowly and, you know, most frames you watch were turgid, you'd have a problem. But it's not like that at all. I mean, the game's no. incredibly fast and quick. Unrecognisable from when I was growing up. And not even when I was growing up, even... You know, 15, 20 years ago, it's sort of faster since then, I think, you know. So, I, I, you know, I don't really think there's anything, anything much to worry about, um, you know, at, at all, really. I mean, people have their views and you have to respect that. But, you know, I, I, it's a bit like the Mark Selby thing. And I think Sean Murphy said it on here, you know, quite candidly, as Sean, Sean could be. He said, well, no one I really know that really understands the game or is really in the game really criticises Mark. And, you know, that might mm. It's almost a bit like that, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, Mark Haller's doing what he has to do to win this week. And, you know, would people... Well, I say would people rather. I know the answer. I think they were. They'd rather he was, like, whacking a few balls, making us look... You know, making us a bit more entertained and losing 5-3 to Lazowski. That's not how, that's <laughs> not how sports people work, is it, Phil? <laughs> well, it certainly shouldn't be, yeah. Um, and it's not like, you know, Selby's won everything and Lousy's world number one for ages. You know, the sport wasn't struggling then. We weren't, like, having a horrible dip in viewing figures when Selby was doing so well. And, yeah, also, I would make sure that Selby always gets brought up in these conversations where it's very easy to sort of cliche him as this. He's a great scorer as well and everything, but, you know, he always is held up as the, in this this sort of conversation. But, yeah, of course, it's a massive overreaction by people. Um, it's a few games that I don't think he's going to always play like that. And even if he does... You know, it's it's nice to have a pantomime villain sometimes. And if you want to do that because someone's playing a bit slowly, you know, when a lot of people sort of have a axe grind with Selby, don't they, when he's playing like that. And, you know, that's fine. That's what creates a rivalry. You know, O'Sullivan and Selby has been one of the best rivalries over the last 10 years or so, hasn't it? So, and partly because of that and because it winds Ronnie up so much. Um, and that's good. That's good for sport. Uh so you need contrasts, you need contrasting stars play, personalities and everything really to create storylines. So yeah, it was a it was a tough watch. I think Henry kept saying it was a tough watch at times, and it was, but you know, we've all watched enough snooker to know we deal with tough watches sometimes. Uh and yeah, I don't think it's a big problem either. No, I'd agree with that. And uh, maybe we should go back and talk about some of the, the earlier matches. Any, any particular highlights you, you, you'd like to pick out? I've got the last 16 results written down here, so I'll perhaps I'll take listeners on from that stage. But um, There were a few shocks early on, weren't there? I know Neil Robertson went out in the first round. He wasn't even on the main table. Um, but I don't know if he was still struggling with that illness. He had a, the Masters and then Selby went out to knock on. Um, Judd looked really good in that game against Fafai and... Again, looking really good, as he has done loads recently. Mark Williams, in that game against Jamie Jones, I watched in the first round. Um, I've just got the breaks here. So he won 4-1. Uh, breaks of 104, 82, 100, 121. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? No. No, he's, he, he's something else. He's going to be a strong contender for the Crucible, you have to say. He'll be a surprise if he isn't right up there again. He got so close to reaching the final last year. And again, you know, we might see him what... No, he might be a little. The bookies are anything like last year. They they always tend to hit giving quite generous odds. So I might have to have a look at that. Or, or, or... Yeah, I think he was thirty three to one last year. I, I don't think he'll be as long as that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's about twenty or something, twenty five. Yeah. And that would be that would be worth a nibble. Yeah, I think he might be he might be twenty odd actually. 
Well, some results from the last 16 then. Jack Lazowski beat Xiao Yulong 4-2. Uh, superb win for Nopon. Nopon Sankan beat Monio Sullivan 4-2. Breaks of 52, 68 and 96 from Nopon. Uh, easy for Mark Williams beating Ding Junhui 4-0. Uh, Sean Murphy four, Kyron Wilson two, Anthony McGill, who, who really showing some some nice form generally this season, I think, beat Sam Craigie four nil, Shao Gudong four, Ryan Day one, uh, Judd Trump coasted to victory four nil against Luca Purcell, and it was Mark Allen four, uh, uh, Joe O'Connor three. Didn't watch any of that match actually, so I, but you, you, you always get those ones, don't you, with the champion? Ah, oh, those close ones, you know that those are the moments, aren't they? You you always get them. Yeah, that was another late night one. I think Joe kind of seems a bit quite prone to sort of late night finishes. I know he can, he's not always like this, but he can be quite steady. Um, and yeah, Alan got over the line in the end, but that was that. I remember staying up later than I'd planned to to watch that one. Uh, but yeah, great win. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes, the wins, don't they, when you win a tournament? But a grinding out past midnight is, is ticking a box along the way. Well, talking about grinding out, I mean, bloody hell, I. I watched nearly all that Alan Lasowski. It was um, it was grisly at times. It really <laughs> was. But I mean, you wouldn't have thought it between those two. But what a slog it turned out to be! Heavens above, a real sort of cocoa snooker night that was. Went on and on. Alan eventually winning five four against Lasowski, and of course he had that big win against him at the UK. They're pl- Am I right? They're playing the shootout. By the way, I've got this coming up later. Bizarre. Yeah. Lasowski against Alan. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. Anyway, um. Eventually, Alan won 5-4. Nopon uh, won as well, beating Mark Williams 5-3. Again, good form from Nopon in that that match. Breaks of 93, 79 and 56. A really good match. Sean Murphy 5, Anthony McGill 4. And again, some top scoring from from Murphy in that six-hour centuries. And Judd Trump beating Xiao Gudong 5-3. It was anyone's tournament at that stage, Phil, wasn't it? We were really thinking, roll up, roll up. I mean, you you tend to get that... all the ITV events, even this one that that has 32 players in, you get players on good form, right at the top of the game. And I know not not everyone's cup of tea, not to have the Saturday afternoon play. We know that ITV traditionally like to uh, have some focus on their racing coverage. In my view, totally understandable. Uh, but I think there's, there's a sort of element of big time about it. They're both night matches, Friday night, Saturday night. You know, it's a, it has a sort of big occasion feeling. We, yeah, it was hard to pick a winner then. And we were just really looking forward to it, weren't we? Yeah, definitely. So there was really good arguments. I guess Trump, Murphy and Allen, you know, you couldn't split too much of that because you Trump and Allen obviously were better this season. But Murphy, everyone knows now, he's been coming in such good form. And Nopon would have been the outsider. But having just beat Selby, Sullivan and Williams, no one was going to write him off at that stage either. So, yeah, it, it built up very nicely. Um, yeah, that yeah, that Alan Lasowski game was mad. But I mean, the last two frames were if you if you didn't if you missed the rest of it and just watched that, then fine. Because Lasowski made, I think Henry said it was one of the best breaks he's ever seen. Oh, I think it was sixty odd. But to uh, to force the decider, it was amazing. And um, really, Lasowski is best. And people you sometimes see comments of people like, oh, I don't get why people go on about Lasowski. You know, he doesn't win anything. But he does stuff sometimes, and you think, that's why they go on about Lasowski, because he's so capable. Um, and, yeah, it was amazing. But then, great stuff from Alan to win the decider as well, so fair play to him. Um, and, yeah, McGill, I don't... I definitely thought this, but people won't believe me, but I definitely thought this before this tournament, and I was looking at the draw 
and how the Grand Prix is on a different draw because it's on the one-year list. And I thought McGill was a good tip for a run. And the quarterfinals is a run, so but it, it wasn't deep enough to be to be annoyed that if I didn't mention it. But he just sort of he had a quiet start to the season, but he got beaten by some really good players. And he's got himself into Germany, which now the German Masters looks like the most wide open tournament from the last 32 onwards there, because hardly any of the top players are there. So he's got as good a chance as any. He qualified for the Welsh. Um, and he's had a good run here, looking really good. I didn't realise I've been working with Peter Ebden, um, like Lasowski, but seems to have got him going again, scoring very heavily. So, yeah, McGill looking good going towards Sheffield again. But, yeah, as you said, very intriguing couple of pairs of quarterfinals, but um, I guess they went with the favourites in the end. The semi-finals, yes, they, they, they were... They weren't close from things. Mark Allen beaten up on Sankham 6-1. Wake of 1-2-7 in that one for Allen and three other half centuries. And Judd Trump beat Sean Murphy at 6-2. Of course, Sean beat Judd at the UK, didn't he? So that that, uh, Judd would have been really, you know, not wanting to have that, you know, a double against him from from Sean. Sean made a 140 in that match, but generally Trump's scoring and, and play was kind of too good. I think we're seeing the general improvement for Murphy. That's a story. I'll be ma- maybe not quite having that sharpness to quite win tournaments yet, but I think he's getting there slowly but surely. And we were left with uh, Allen and Trump. And of course, it was a Masters winner against the UK winner. So, and someone made a very good, someone made a good point. When Job won the UK, it was Alan he beat, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, going back, and people at that time were kind of saying, "Ah, oh, now these two are going to constantly meet in semis and fight. And it sort of didn't happen. Uh, but then it's kind of happening now, and better late than never. They could have a, quite a few good seasons of, of meeting. And it's it's really intriguing when they do, because, you know, they're both such, such top players. And Alan's getting there more and more, isn't he? I mean, listen, nowhere near. Trump's levels of, of winning stuff, but you know this season especially, he's you know he's right up there. So, fine enough. Most people, I did a poll, and I think sixty odd percent went for Jard. And I think over the the way they were playing in that week, you, you know, you'd gone for that. But again, we say it time and time again. Finals are so different, and I can think about four or five finals now this season where the player that's looked the the least likely to go into it on form wins it. Mm. We saw it with Ryan Day. We saw it in the Masters final, really, because Williams have been much better than Trump that week. Probably two or three others that come to mind as well, if I really delved into it. And and this was kind of the same again. But as Alan built up that big lead, looked like it would be decisive. Trump came back. And it was that sweet spot, I think, Phil, finishing between like half 10 and 11 o'clock. It was a, a really good Sunday night viewing. And that's a good showcase for the game. What's happening with the match-fixing charges is terrible. It's absolutely terrible for the game. But the product, the drama, the intrigue, what's happening on that 12 per 6 is, is as entertaining as it always was. Yeah, definitely. And it was the same at the Masters. When it was dealt with at the start of the tournament, the, the match-fixing stuff, and then we moved on and the snooker was brilliant. And, yeah, that's that's the way it's going to do. No one's, no one's ignoring the, the bad stuff, but we hope the good stuff shines through <laughs> through beyond that. And that's what it's, it's done. It was... Uh, it's a really good tournament again. Um, and yeah, I, I looked back at their sort of head-to-head, Alan and Trump, and that, that UK final in 2011 was the only time they'd met over longer than a first to six, which well, I was surprised though at that. But then you think about it, and there's only, there's only that, not that many situations where they could meet over a long distance, really, on the, the way the tour goes now. And they never played at the Worlds. 
Um, but yeah, I suppose it is a bit surprising they haven't met at some point along there. But I think they will do in the years to come because we've got a long time left. You know, Trump's Trump's 33. And in your head, he's sort of a lot younger than Alan, but he's not as he's. Alan's 36. So they're not far apart in ages and they could be scrapping it out at the at the business end for a while to come yet. And uh, all for it. I think <laughs> those two games they have played over, over long distances. The one on Sunday was great. And that UK final... Well, over, over a decade ago, it was also great. So, yeah, all for it if they meet at the Crucible. Have they never met at that? No. I mean, that doesn't that say a lot about how Alan's underachieved, though? Because had he been going deep, as his career suggested he should have done, he'd have played John quite a few times. But, yeah, that's quite telling, I think. Well, Phil, we move on, don't we, to the shootout, which is always great fun. And it's Wednesday to Saturday this year, rather than traditional Thursday start. So only a couple of days to wait. And uh, kicking off with Hossein Vafai, the champion against uh, Sean Murphy. Uh, takes a little one frame. I mean, I've written a few down, but frankly, you know, <laughs> it's not something you, you necessarily want to have a big, long list. It's one of those, you, you let it wash over you, don't you? you? You enjoy it. And as we always say, the great thing about the shooter is a match you don't like that much or you think oh, it's not quite floating my boat this. Don't worry. Give it 10 minutes. Another two will come along. It's a good, <laughs> it's a proper conveyor belt, isn't it? But I have got a few down. Stephen Maguire's got Ken Doherty, Joe Perry, Luca Purcell. That Lasalle Gallon, goodness me, played in a couple of massive tournaments lately. Now they're facing each other at the shootout. It's Barry Hawkins against Jackson Page. Mark Selby's got Mark Davis. A few years on the clock there. Stuart Bingham's playing Rianne Evans. And Ricky Walden's got uh, Gary Wilson. Gary Wilson, of course, was on his first ranking event this season. Great fun. That That's what it's really about, isn't it? First and foremost, uh, maybe some of those new viewers. We, we haven't got a lot of evidence to, to know whether that's the case, but you'd have thought it, it would be a format that might in, interest a different kind of viewer. It's, uh, it's fast and furious. You don't get bored for a minute. And it's four days where we'll probably be glued to it from start to finish, won't we? Give or take. Yeah, I always look forward to it. Always enjoy it. Um, yeah, and there's loads of interesting first round games. You mentioned Maguire there. That shows what he's been because I had a look at his shootout history, and he's not played in it once since since it's been a ranking event. He used to play in it when it was a non-ranking event. He got to a semi, but he's not bothered since. But he's he's down at thirty odd in the ranking, so he's exactly the kind of player that would love to to win this and get a little boost back up there. Um, but yeah, those those big first rounds of a five Murphy Perry against Brussel. Not what you want, is it? If you're those guys. Um, but yeah, it's it's anyone's. Well, no, it's not anyone's to win. We say this, don't we? I think almost every game, anyone could win a frame, can't they? Near enough. Um, but it's not it's not anyone's to win the tournament. I think it's generally people who, in the top sixty four, um, probably around thirty or forty in the rankings or better. Um, yeah, it's not a complete lottery. The word lottery will get thrown around a lot during this tournament, but I disagree with it. I think each each match, both players have got a good chance of winning it, but there are some players in there who have not got a good chance of winning the tournament. I think that's a fair way of putting it. It's a nice way of putting it. That, that That's what it really is. And, well, I'm going to, because you said that, have a look at the winners again, which I think will back up your point. Oh, go, going back to 19... 90 version, Darren Morgan. Well, that's a good winner to start with. Uh, 11, Nigel Bond, former world finalist, ranking event winner. 12, Barry Hawkins, serial ranking event winner. 
13 Martin Gould, ranking event winner. 14 Dominic Dale, ranking event winner. 15 Michael White, ranking event winner. More of a Maverick winner, Robin Hull. Yeah. He'd won the tournament apart from that, had he? I don't think. No. Very um, good player. I always thought he was very good. But yeah, no, I don't think he got very near winning a tournament other than the, the shootout. <laughs> Anthony McGill, uh, uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm remembering that wasn't his first ranker when he won that. So I remember him thinking, ah, this is not really like the other one. So I think he'd already won one. Michael Giorgio, again, more Maverick, but a good player, Michael Giorgio. You know, he's not a complete left field one, I would say. Tep Chaya, again, good player. Michael Holt, how much we love that, of course, first uh, ranker. But again, a serial top 32 player for years and years, Michael. Ryan Day, what a top player he is. And then Hossein Vafai. Now, again, that was a ranking event breakthrough, but we've seen since and we'll see in the years to come, no doubt, what a top player he is. And a lot of the runners-up are, are very strong as well. Mark Williams last year, Mark Selby the year before, Graham Dot another year, Luca Purcell, Stuart Bingham, Mark Allen, Graham Dot, Robert Milkins. You know, as you say, you, you know, you, you tend to be a good snooker player to win this. And what, I said it again, this is what I'm looking forward to, maybe more than almost anything else. It's the sheer class of the guys that don't look like they're rushing. Mark Williams is a classic example. I'll say Mafai mastered that a bit last year. But there are a few of them there. And while some of them look like they're, you know, like those old sort of comedy films of, of, of decades and decades ago that, that are speeded up, some, <laughs> some, some of them don't. Some of them look like they're just having a stroll around and, you know, it's taking ages over it almost. That's how classy they are. So there's lots, there's lots to enjoy. And uh, it will be fast and furious, and yeah, we we just look forward to, it, don't we? May the best, may the best man or woman win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Williams has got to be. I'd look at the betting, and this is as random as it gets, isn't it? But the the bookies have all decided that Kyron Wilson is the favourite. Um, he's twenty to one, uh, which seems a short price for anyone in this still, really. But obviously, a very good player. But you would think Mark Williams might be the favourite. Got um, the final last year. He's in such good nick, but. Yeah, it's, it's too it's too difficult to predict. Um, you'd be looking, I think you'd be looking at taking a punt on some of the people who are a lot longer odds than that if you're having a having a nibble on this. But yeah, it's something that we've said it on here a load of times that we enjoy. Um, it's a good chance for people who aren't even on tour, but for some people on tour who don't win many matches to you know have a nice time. You know, you can easily win three or four frames when you're not used to winning matches and just get a bit of confidence, you know. Uh, people have said before uh, from this tournament, it's given a real boost just because you had a winning feeling. You've come back for a second day of a tournament, which some players aren't used to very often. So, yeah, it's uh, it's unique and we we really like it. So uh, hopefully everyone listening will enjoy it too. Oh, indeed. Enjoy the shootout, everyone. It's a you know, smashing four days of entertainment to come this week. Well, you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And well, I'm not saying that the emails in our correspondence are long, Phil, but I've titled it The Dead Sea Scrolls this week. (laughs) We really have got some long ones, but we are delighted. So let's crack on and, and address the points we've had in. And I'll start with Ben Ashmore in Sheffield on email. Evening, gents. Recently found your pod over the last few months, and absolutely love it. It's from a few months back, but what a joy the Hazel Irvin chat was. Hazel is the best in the business for me. I can listen to her chat, Snooker 24-7, a real pro. 
please hazel never retire thank you for that uh, ben genuinely we love that episode listen back to it that's from september uh, a good hour, hour or so chat with hazel who really was a delight now then just thought i'd share my view on the world grand prix to be honest at the start of the week i had very little interest I'm not a fan of having back-to-back -back tournaments at the best of times. And with the Masters only finishing last week, the Grand Prix felt a bit mare for me, especially when it's best of sevens to start. But by the end of the week, I was thoroughly enjoying it. Really enjoyed watching Sankam go into top seed killer overdrive. We also got a belting final, which, let's be honest, at 7-2 down, I don't think many gave Judd much hope. So to get a decider was magic. I do think World Snooker need to spread the calendar out a bit better especially without the big Chinese events at the moment. But I guess it's partially down to TV and also venue availability. I may be old-fashioned and love the long formats of the Worlds and the old UK Championship format, but I do blooming love the shootout. It's a real blast. A shame a fair few of the top stars can't be bothered with it. I'd actually love to see a proper full-on tournament with shootout rules each frame. Even if it's best of sevens all the way through, that would be great. Anyway, my prediction for the shootout, Mark King. Absolutely no other reason for it other than he's due a good run in something and the shootout's as good a place as any to get a run. Cheers, lads. Ben, I don't quite like that. Why not? You know, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, you're not alone in snooker. I'd say the vast majority would love the long formats and prefer those. Uh, as for the rest of the things you say, well, don't need to worry about spreading the calendar out so much at the moment as to the events we're missing will be more more, more of a worry. But yeah, I can't remember who, it, who made the point now. It might have been Dave Hendon actually said that because I I remember that the crowd's been quite poor in Cheltenham last time. They were, I think they're a bit better this year. They seem quite healthy. Did look good, yeah. And I think the point was that people knew the games coming up more. They have more of a of a notice about them, and that is a factor. You want to see your favourites? You know, you can. You know, have a good idea when they're playing, book to see them, and that that was kind of a different factor. And it, you know, I think there may be some mileage in that area. Job was getting some big support, and you know, people were making the point that, of course, we've lost the South Wales element to the Welsh Open now. It's now in Clandidno, so this is kind of almost the event for that region, isn't it? In a way, and people kind of, in, I think, in, embraced it in that sense. Yeah, I think that was the cutoff was at a different time, wasn't it? So that the matches we knew the matches long before. They were played rather than some of those ITV events. We've literally found out who was qualified the night before. I remember when Jordan Brown won the Welsh and had to hastily change his plans to go up and play in, I think, the players the next day. And he hadn't uh, he hadn't brought his waistcoat over from Northern Ireland because he was playing in the Welsh in uh, the sort of just the black shirts. They had to rustle up a waistcoat on short notice. Um, but yeah, it's better for fans who know when they want to go and uh, see certain games and uh, seem to work. Yeah, the, the crowds look good. Um, but yeah, I get what Ben's saying about, you know, there being a big final finishing on a Sunday and then you're straight into some first round action on a Monday. Um, it, they People can struggle to sort of get back into those games having come off that. But yeah, it's not ideal. If, uh, but I'm not going to complain about there being a lot of snooker on. Um, I'd rather it was on every day if that's if that's what they have to do. But yeah, obviously in an ideal world it would be a bit more spread out. But yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to get <laughs> when when we're complaining about gaps in the calendar. Um, probably shouldn't be complaining about having to watch snooker for two weeks straight. <laughs> 
No, exactly. I think I was a bit more low-key on the Monday and Tuesday, thinking, yeah, a bit the Masters, follow it a bit more from afar. But as I said many times, that's fine. You know, you don't have to watch every moment of every tournament. You know, if you weren't what if Norman's watching anything, that's when we need to worry. But I, I always think Wednesday, Thursday, these tournaments really hot up. I love the Thursday. Uh, that was the night that Alan Lazowski, wasn't it? So always, you know, fully engaged in it by then, and then you get to the business end. So, you know, I think the the ones I'm really feel sorry for, the ones that always seem to have it, it wasn't the same with the Scottish this year, because of course the UK moved because of the uh football world cup. But the Scottish for years was just after the UK, and I thought that really was a bit mm. after maybe more than any other ones actually and it was always the Scottish so I felt they suffered a bit but yeah listen we'd rather this way around than, than, than not have the tournaments which is kind of our biggest problem and maybe we should move on to Martin Yap for you sir yep there's Martin on email hi guys great podcast as always what a thrilling final and tournament that was I thought that Mark Allen had his tactics completely right in the first session of the final he slowed play down and really kept Judd in his seat and cold when Judd did get back to the table, seemingly after three minutes, there was nothing but a risky long shot. Judd may well have gone, have got them on another day when he had been in the when he had been in the play more. What I like about Judd's comeback on the evening session was he played Mark at his own game. Mark really didn't know how to counter that. He was cold with long potting, having not taken many on. I think he was probably lucky in the end to have had another visit to the table after he missed cutback. But when Judd missed uncharacteristically in the corner, Mark. Mark's work around the black spot was normally simple enough for a man of his standards, but the pressure must have been tense and he took them well. Exactly. Uh, I think the Twitter critics would have not liked the style of play by Mark, but, it, but if it wins you this type of tournament, then why not? Back to Terry Griffith's style of play with one and a half hour frames. Big shout out to Sean Murphy and Mark Williams, who I thought played some really good stuff. Got to be another title soon for those guys. Um, yeah, I think that's all fair enough. Uh, I think that points to your point that you were saying, Nick, earlier, that how different it is nowadays. Yeah, Mark's style of play this tournament would have been completely the norm in days gone by, if anything, not slow at all. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, you know, it just that's just the way the game is played more often these days. That it look, it sort of stood out so much. But um, yeah, and I agree on Murphy and Williams; they're both playing brilliantly at the minute. So contenders for everything they're going at the minute. Exactly, and I think some a lot of the negative stuff I was seeing seemed to be between the sessions of the final. I think Henry made his comments that afternoon. A few people come on the back and that said, "Yeah, he's right. Mark's getting too negative, and and you know, is, is he going to be really bad for the sport?" Okay, we didn't expect it to be as thrilling as that on Sunday night, but it was. It was brilliant, you know, and he, he couldn't have wished for any more. So, you know, it's it just funny, you know, to to sort of. Uh, there are some worries in the game at the moment and big, big worries, but I, I don't think Mark Allen slowing his style down for one week, you know, when he wasn't feeling his most confident, you know, to do what he needed to do to win a tournament is really one of those problems, to be honest. Let's move on then to Gareth Williams, friend of the podcast. One of many, Phil, as we know. Hi, Nick and Phil. I'm writing to you both to let you know my thoughts on semi-final Saturday at the Masters which I attended with my dad for the first time in three years. We've made two previous visits before now, 2019 and 2020, and I'm pleased to say this year felt just as special as the times gone by. Even if the matches themselves were not of the usual high standard, walking up a hill really does feel similar to the Sheffield pilgrimage, as you said previously, Nick, and walking through the palm corn entrance 
to the main foyer without fail always ignites a special feeling inside of you when you know you're about to be involved in what has turned out to be in recent times a special weekend in sport. A few thoughts on the venue itself. Alexandra Palace is, in my opinion, going from strength to strength. The main arena is unique compared to the other tournaments. After seeing good reviews of the rejuvenated fan zone and queue zone that were the UK championship, I was surprised to see the fan zone to the left as you come in through the doors, pretty much deserted on the Saturday morning with seemingly no officials around conducting activities on the various tables they had set up. Whether it was bad timing for myself, I'm not sure, but it does seem like there's been a slight step back on that front. This this didn't affect my enjoyment, though, purely an observation. The queue zone around the back was bustling with fans looking into the practice rooms, however, through the one-way window and attempting the huge Juliet Bravo window, as I call it, Phil, and attempting the usual activities on the big table with the WPBSA officials, which may explain why there was no one out front. In fact, there was a lot of people, Gareth Wright, but over I was there, a lot of people out the back enjoying the um, the practice and the fun out there. As for the inside, the setup was again fantastic, living up to its prestige. I was sitting in the blue box, the blue block, looking directly down onto the table, but it seems you have a good view from wherever you're sitting, really. Rob Walker was, as always, brilliant in getting the crowd pumped up before the matches, too. Overall, it was a fantastic day, and WST has done a cracking job in making the event feel special. My weekend was made even better by finally completing the Blue Ball Challenge. You had to be very, very good to get that, Gareth. So <laughs> I enjoy yourself. After failing miserably during multiple attempts over my stint in the press room at the Crucible last year. Now, Gareth, that, that to remind us, is uh, on the journalism path. And he spent some time, didn't he, with Ivan Hurstovich and his team. You saw him there, didn't you, Phil, during your time there mm-hmm. at the Crucible last year. Gareth said, it's nice to finally put that on the CV. I like the idea of that being on the CV, Phil, you know. So yeah. 2004 to 2006, you know, you know, doing a bit of newspaper work and you know, <laughs> personal interests, you know, done a bit of voluntary work here and there. And I did the Blue Ball Challenge at the Masters. The idea, it should be there. That's the sort of thing that should be on CV, frankly. Absolutely. And he said, the key really is to play it slowly. That's the advice I was given, and I tend to agree with that. Thanks to you both, as always, for producing a terrific podcast each week. Best wishes, Gareth. Well, sorry for sort of spoiling that a bit, Gareth, by just speaking over it constantly, but that's how many good points you were making. Thank you for that. I'm glad you had such a good time. And there's something very special about it. I mean, it wasn't actually a very good semi-final Saturday in terms of matches, certainly not compared to last year. But, yeah, the whole experience of the Masters is great, isn't it? I mean, we, just, we, we kind of said it all last time, didn't we? But special event to be at, and... You know, fans just relish it, don't they, Phil? It's like a, a sort of pilgrimage at the start of the year. And it's just that time of year where you need a boost, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke about it last week. I was lucky enough to go and sit in there for the first session in the afternoon. And, it, yeah, it is amazing. You can see why all the players love playing in there. It's really special. Um, just having sort of fans 360 when you've got the the sofas on one end underneath the commentary boxes. Um and yeah, there's a mention of Rob Walker there. He does a, a superb job. He has done for years now. For, um, always worth a mention how how good he is at that stuff. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a great spot. Um, I walked up on that morning on the Sunday when it's sort of nice sunny wintry day and the views across London. That's all lovely. Uh, so yeah, I think the Masters really, you know, there's, nothing's perfect. I'm sure there's little tweaks that could be done, but it's a, it's. Uh, 
it, it gets almost perfect reviews, doesn't it? Um, everyone loves it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all good stuff there. Indeed it is. And maybe we should move on to Graham Torrell for you. Yes, it's Graham Torrell email. Hi again, Phil and Nick. A rare Phil and Nick. It's always Nick and Phil. I'm going to take that. Um, just a quick one to say, I was the guy who shook Phil's hand as per the shout out at the end of any other business on the latest part. Yes, that was in the pub in Muswell Hill. So hello to you, Graham. My mate and I had tickets for both the afternoon and evening sessions of the final, and we had nipped into the Priory for a quick drink and to watch the first half of the football before grabbing some food and heading back up the hill. It was quite lively up in there. I can uh, attest to that. Um, There were some angry Spurs fans in there who were watching (laughs) their team lose to Arsenal. Uh, I know Phil says he is always approachable, but I could see he was with a couple of mates and so didn't want to disturb. Plus, having been the original star spot guy back in summer 2021, um, I didn't want to introduce myself and Phil think I am stalking him. But if I happen to see him a third time, I'll come over and have a proper chat. Yeah, that was we worked that out. That was in the Stone Roses bar in Leeds. So that is two spots in different parts of the country. But yeah, no, do come and say hello next time, Graham. A uh, couple of comments on the final for me, being say, beyond saying the obvious about what a great game it was. The temperature in the auditorium seemed to get hotter and hotter through the final. We were sat at the back of the blue stand just in front of the Century Club diners. Everyone around us slowly stripped all the winter layers off down to T-shirts, and it got especially hot during the marathon 14th frame with lots of fanning of bits of paper around us. The players didn't seem to be especially affected, so maybe it was just the sheer amount of bodies in the crowd. It was definitely verging on the uncomfortable. The toilet facilities were laughable. I got to Ali Pali every year and the queues and alcohol consumption are also long, but they have a lot more of the toilets open, plus mobile toilets outside, etc. The queues for the toilets in the bar area were absolutely horrendous in the mid-session interval, gents and ladies. So we gave up and had to sacrifice watching one of the evening frames live as there simply wasn't time to get down to the toilet and back into the seats before the balls had been racked up again. But I guess in the scheme of things, these are two relatively minor grumbles and it was a superb match and experience. Keep up the good work, Graham. Well, I, w- I wouldn't say actually the toilet. I wouldn't say that is a minor grumble. That is quite bad. People literally can't, there's not time. And mid-session interval is quite a lengthy period of time. If you can't get anyone, everyone in and out of the toilets, that, that is pretty poor. And I would say as well, the temperature, But when I sat in there and... Um, I was sort of let in some empty seats, so I wasn't even surrounded by people. And I did think it was hot. Um, you know, there's always, you can often spot someone who's nodded off in the crowd sometimes. And the, the temperature in there would not help that because it was very warm. Um, so, yeah, but that's probably a less serious issue. But, yeah, the, to- the toilets uh, is, not a mi- is not a minor grumble, I'd say. That's pretty important stuff. Not at all a minor grumble, a major grumble. Toilet facilities are vital at all, all entertainment uh, events, not just sport. And, yeah, no, it's good to know. And, you know, I think he's hit on something a little bit here, Graham, that the Masters is wonderful, and that's the headline story. It's a brilliant, brilliant week for snooker. But, and I've heard this from quite a few fans, it's not always, on a few levels, the very, very best experience taking it throughout the season. I know the seats aren't always the most comfortable. I mean, I found it all right this time, actually. I was in there for one frame, and I did get the end of a row, so I had a bit of more room, maybe one side. But uh, they're better seats. They they ultimately are temporary stands, let's remember that. So they're never going to be as lovely as the Crucible, for example, or some of those ones where it's an actual normal arena and there are seats 
in there that are seats 365 days of the year rather than these temporary ones. And also, yeah, the temperature. I mean, the insects, I mean, we joke about it, the wasp, that, <laughs> that's the problem. So, you know, that's why I think what you said a little while ago, you know, you can always strive for better. Despite the fact it's a superb event, there's always things you can improve on the fan experience. And it, it, it's good to know those things. And thank you. Now, I'm just getting thinking, there's a lot of people that are now seeing you and not approaching you. Now, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word diva. They're, they're not using that word. But I, I don't know if you're giving off a little bit of not diva vibe. That's probably unfair, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. But I wonder if they're put off by my extensive entourage. <laughs> This is amazing, isn't it? You're getting people left, right and centre, but that, that's lovely and uh, no, really, really nice to know. And uh, yeah, that's a good, you and that, that's down in Muswell Hill, isn't it? Which, quite poor for me. For, for years and years, I used to watch football and that, that pub that's obviously Alexandra Palace uh, Station. It's mm. quite a good pizza. I've forgotten what it's called. But it stopped showing the last couple of years, satellite games. Well, in fact, any, I don't think it's got telly at all, but it certainly doesn't have Sky for the, for the football. So at one time I walked down to Wood Green, purely because I know Wood Green. I used to have a couple, know a couple of people in life from that way. But actually this time I walked down to Muswell Hill and it's, it's far better really that way. Nothing against the good people at Wood Green, but there are some cracking sort of shops and pubs and cafes that way. So that's, uh, if, you, if you're going to, you know, Ali Pally, then Crouch End Muswell Hill is kind of the, the parish's train for a, eh? Yeah, I, I don't know those those spots that well, really. But um, I went down with Shane McDermott and uh, Hector Nunz, our friends from the press room, and uh, they'd been there before the Priory. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned last week, it was very good value. I think pints, there are plenty of pints on offer for under five quid, which is not too shabby at all these days. Um, I actually stayed in Wood Green in, um, I think it was called the Green Rooms, which was sort of rooms above a bar there, which was reasonably priced. Um, but yeah, that would definitely... Um, that pub, the, the Priory, was definitely worth popping in for to watch the football. I'd recommend that. Oh, good good stuff. Good to hear. And uh, keep the correspondence coming. You know, I'm sure probably the, the Masters ones may have been done now, but if there are still a few more and you've got Masters on the mind, let us know. May well still be some more from the World Grand Prix. We have got a couple other bits of correspondence. We're going to keep those back for uh, next time uh, because... You know, we 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 want generally to try and keep these episodes to a sort of sensible-ish length. Uh, and we'll move on, shall we, Phil, and say congratulations to Mink Nutrat for winning the Belgian Women's Open. Uh, Mink successful, uh, beating Wendy Yans at four-one in the final. And well, we should maybe look at some of the results here that I've got from the quarterfinal stage onwards. Uh, Mink beating Emma Parker three-nil. Rebecca Kenner three on Yi two. Rianne Evans, three, Jamie Hunter, nil. And Wendy Yans, three, Mary Talbot, Deegan, nil. And that was Rebecca Kenner's first win in ages, I think, it gets on you. I saw really relishing and celebrating that. In yeah. the semi-finals, Mink beat Rianne Evans, four, nil. Wendy Yans beat Rebecca Kenner, four, three. And as I say, Mink successful in the final. Uh, so congratulations to her. And that and that's a women's tour, we are very pleased to say, goes from strength to strength. Yeah, it's another great win for Mink, um, the Women's World Champion. Um, it's, you've got to say she's sort of the best women's player in the world at the minute. Uh, to beat Rianne Fornhill in the semi-final, very convincing, isn't it? And 4-1 in the final. Uh, yeah, very impressive. 
Um, she works really hard, de- very dedicated. Moved over here, you know, did that piece with the when was that before the Champion of Champions? Um, she said she's moved here over here on her own and very much is just practicing. That's pretty much it. So, uh, yeah, it's paying off getting some good wins. And she's at the shootout this week. She is playing Robbie Williams in the first round. Um, Robbie Williams is sort of in that group of players who could do well at the shootout, but um, he did have a good run last year as well. Just guess it now, but I think he, he had a recent good run at the shootout. But yeah, Mink very capable of winning a frame against anyone, so that would be interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah, firm congratulations to her. It's a great result for her in Belgium. I like it when we get to the stage of the podcast where we just start guessing things, Phil. Um, <laughs> one of my favourite parts. Now, listen, <laughs> I'm sure I haven't dreamt that Robbie no, no. had a good run at the shootout because that would be the world's most boring dream if I did dream that. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Any other business, Phil, let's say that we have Marcel Eckhart coming up with us next week. We are making a last call for correspondence, maybe the next day or two. We have, we do have generally have loads in, but listen, they're really good, interesting questions. Of course, we have room for those as well. A couple more days for those, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. But you have lined up another very good guest for us to to let us know about now coming in February. Yes, so we've got Marcel coming up shortly, and then in February, Jordan Brown will be joining us uh, ahead of the Welsh Open. It's a, a while now since he won that, but he will be forever linked with that tournament, and quite rightly, because it was one of the most spectacular things that's ever happened in Suki, one of the greatest upsets ever. Uh, amazing, and uh, really good guy as well, Jordan. So we, we'd love to have him on at any time, but that, that seemed to make sense. So... Uh, any questions for Jordan? Um, you've got a while yet before that will happen, so get them coming in. And uh, I will confirm that Robbie Williams got to the semi-finals of the shootout last season, so I've not gone mad. Never doubt you do for a minute, Phil. Uh, and cracking guest in Jordan Brown. Uh, that's that's, that's marvellous news. Thank you so much for setting that up for us. We look forward to asking Jordan all about his career. Time in the garage, of course. Won't be able to <laughs> ignore that. And... Of course, a lot of talk about that most famous of Welsh wins, which you were there for, of course. Big Ronnie O'Sullivan didn't in the final. One of the really was one of the great upsets. Uh, and it, yeah, one of those. I, I know now already such an interesting guest he'll be you know, for, for his life and times on and off the table. We look forward to that. That's coming up in February before the Welsh Open. Marcel Eckhart's with us next week. Anything more for you to say, sir? Otherwise, we, we shall uh, disappear, I think. I don't think so, no. Uh, it's been a, a great couple of weeks now on the on the table, hasn't it? And hopefully uh, a few more uh, good days to come at the shootout. Yeah, Wednesday to Saturday um, is an interesting change. I can't, should have checked this before. I'm not sure why that has happened, but it should make for quite the, <laughs> the rowdiest of shootout crowds on the final night. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, looking forward to it. So I uh, hope everyone enjoys it. Indeed. Have a great time at uh, the shootout if you're going enjoy it on television as as you're not going are you i'm not discussing this with you i'm I'm certainly not i thought about popping down on wednesday because actually it's very easy on the train from sheffield but i won't confirm that yet i might be tempted to pop along you might see phil haig there if that's any reason to try and get down i think tickets <laughs> might have gone actually i think i saw someone say um it, it wouldn't be surprising it's, it's a very popular event mm. But enjoy it beginning on Wednesday through to Saturday and loads of more big events to come, of course. That Welsh Open just around the corner. Before that, the German Masters. We'll have Marcel to talk about that on here next week. We really look forward to 
him being on here, one of the top referees in the game. Uh, for now, we say congratulations once again to Mark Allen, a third ranking title this season, the winner of the World Grand Prix. See you next time, Phil. See you next time. Always a pleasure. Speak to everyone soon. Indeed. Thank you very much for your company. Keep your thoughts coming. Talking snooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at Talking Snooker. For now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.